Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Okay, welcome to our Wednesday Politics Guy show. You know, normally what we do is we have an interview or we do exclusively listener mail, but there was so much stuff that we wanted to talk about on Sunday that we didn't have the chance to get to that, uh, that we wanted to, we wanted to explore some of these stories and maybe get to a little listener mail. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But, uh, but anyway, you know, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about, Jay, this, uh, on this show was, uh, Donald Trump's uh, ongoing battle with uh, uh, with Congress, actually with his own party in Congress. You know, I think it's safe to say that there is yet to have been a week in the Trump administration where where, where President Trump didn't commit some kind of significant tactical error that's going to make it much harder harder for him to actually get things done. At least anything that requires somebody else's assistance, right? And and this week. To me, the big error was the shot, well, multiple errors of the same type. The shots that he took at House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for not following his suggested legislative strategy of rolling debts in legislation into the VA bill. Because, of course, Donald Trump is a master legislative strategist, you know. But then he takes more shots at McConnell for not making an Obamacare repeal happen. Then he takes some random shots at Republican senators Bob Corker and Jeff Flake. Uh, and and then, of course, you know, he, he ramps up his shrinking base at a rally in Phoenix by essentially calling any media with the temerity to criticize him uh, an enemy of the American people. And, you know, I, oh, sorry, I almost forgot. He tweeted that he'd be fine with a government shutdown if Congress doesn't approve spending for his Mexico border wall. And you remember that. That's that wall that Mexico is going to somehow magically pay for. Um, So, Jay, what are your thoughts on these fights that the president's picking? At least, I mean, okay, I think saying that he's going to war with them is is overblown. And we I've seen some of that in the media. But at least he's openly feuding. this has not gone unnoticed. And there's, 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 I'd say there's a couple different kinds of, of presidential tweets, presidential sort of shots at, at Congress. Some are the the personal type, uh, for example, like the Jeff Flake of nobody even knows who the hell he is, and, and this, which, again, is, is just bizarre. Um, uh, the, the bizarre sort of, you know, personal shots he would take at a member of Congress. And, and you know, I would typically say – in in most of presidential history, you you would tend not to do that ever, just because it sort of it it lowers you as the president and it sort of raises the profile of a a, of a senator or congressman. It's uh, again just something that that would seem to be against common sense to do, uh, even if it was someone of the opposing party, um, which in this case is the same team. The second thing he does. Uh, is is putting Congress into a uh, into a box and and by saying things like uh, he did prove a government shutdown uh, if he doesn't get his wall and so forth, um, you know those those sort of things then then make it much more difficult for them to actually do business uh, conduct anything. Uh, you know the the other thing is if if Trump wants to say these things to members of Congress. Uh, he can pick up the phone. He can say, come on down to the White House. I'd like to speak with you. Um, but by doing these just random tweets in public, uh, he, he, he eliminates the, the possibility of discussion and compromise. Uh, and I would say most of the, the, the center-right press has, has begun to, hasn't begun to, this is sort of a, a, 
you know, it's been a long march here, um, really say, listen, Repo- congressional Republicans may be in a position now where they have to realize they're they're going this alone, uh, so to speak, um, and they should treat, uh, the, for, for example, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal that says, look, at this point, congressional Republicans should treat uh, Trump as not a Republican president, but as just some independent president. Yeah. So. Yeah, and in fact, uh, Trey posted a, a, a similar kind of comment on our Facebook site this week about that, and there was a lot of back and forth on that, though. So, you know, I guess I'm going to I'm going to try to look at this from Donald Trump's point of view. This is going to be hard for me, but I'm going to try to do it. Um, And it seems to me at least take the Jeff Flake thing. Jeff Flake recently came out with a book called Conscience of a Conservative, a rejection of destructive politics and a return to principle. And it was pretty much. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, you know, but I mean, it was pretty much calling Donald Trump out uh, more or less. And and if you're the president, you are sort of the de facto leader of your party. And I think Donald Trump feels uh, aggrieved by the idea that, well, here I am. I am the representative of the Republican Party and people like Jeff Flake are taking clear shots at me. And so therefore I'm going to kind of fight back against. I think that's sort of how he sees it. Now, I think there's a good reason for uh, Jeff Flake was kind of a never Trumper sort of guy, basically. And I, I, I guess I would say it's sort of a a good and courageous thing that he's done. And I think it was great that he published this book, but I think Jeff Flake is a different story than Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan have gone out of their way to not criticize Donald Trump. Right. You know, and so that's a different thing. And honestly, I, 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 I don't know. I, you know. Well, and again, like I said, I think the Jeff Flake thing, that that's, again, just more a weird, goofy, personal thing. It doesn't necessarily spill over into policy. The Ryan and McConnell uh, uh, criticisms do. Yeah. But I mean, I would think that the best way to, to magnify a criticism of somebody that's saying that you are unfit to be president or lack the temperament is to give that person... Uh, a, a, a microphone, a megaphone, which, you yeah. know, hey, guess, guess what? New book out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and so he's, he's, he's exactly going against his best interest, but we've seen this time and time again. And of course there are more than a few whispers that Mitch McConnell basically has privately decided that the Trump presidency is, is more or less unsalvageable from a legislative point of view, but no one's going to come out. Certainly not Mitch McConnell is going to come out and say, Hey, Donald Trump is not the leader of our party. He's basically an independent and Republican clothing, and we're going to try to work around him as best we can. And the reason why is because Mitch McConnell is not Donald Trump, right? I mean, Mitch McConnell knows that that would be sort of a pointless statement of principle, I guess you could call it, that would not advance his legislative agenda because he knows that the way to get people to go along with you is not to needlessly antagonize them. And that is a lesson that Donald Trump has not learned for whatever reason. Um, like I said, the thing with the Mexico border wall, I mean, I, I think that of all the things that Donald Trump has promised, the Mexico border wall is the sort of least non-negotiable. I don't see there's any way that Donald Trump, if he gets through four years as president, and that remains to be seen, if there isn't some sort of significant wall building that goes on, I don't know how he can say that, how anyone could say that he hasn't been basically a failure because that was his big thing. Build the wall, build the wall, you know, and lock up crooked Hillary, that sort of thing. But build the wall was really the thing. And so 
I think he kind of needs to go to the mattresses on this. Uh, I don't know that he's going to end up being okay with a government shutdown when push comes to shove, but it would not surprise me exactly. Now, government shutdowns, of course, as you know, Jay, when Republicans have done it, it's almost always come back to bite them when they've done well, that. Well, a government, uh, there's, there's a, I mean, we've noticed there, there's sort of an iron rule in politics, and that is government shutdowns hurt Republicans. Yeah. It doesn't matter who, who starts it, who brings it on, who's in power, government shutdowns hurt Republicans. Um, and and uh, Trump, again, the idea that he would uh, push a government shutdown or his other suggestion uh, about tying other pieces uh, of, of his agenda to things like, say, the debt ceiling increase. Um, you know, that's that's just sort of the the apocalyptic sort of uh, uh, <laughs> rhetoric uh, that that has caused problems before. And the stock market goes goofy when you're messing with the debt ceiling and uh, all these things that. Again, just making problems for people who should be on your own team. Um, I I do think he might be able to get away without having an actual wall built. Uh, if he did something like, hey, look, this new this new budget is going to approve uh, X much uh, more money for for border enforcement, and whether it's a wall, whether it's a fence, whether it's a moat, whether it's guys in jeeps, uh, you know, the the statement is. We are we are taking uh, our border seriously, and, and here's money and steps we're taking, and we're being successful. Uh, I think he could do that, and you know, and maybe there's there's a portion where hey, there here's an actual wall you can look at. Um, but uh, you know, again, I think again, Congress would would be willing to go along with that. Uh, that uh, greater border security and and funds for that. Um, I, you know, you could even you know, co-opt the, you know, the locals and say, listen, we're going to have more government grants for local, local, uh, uh, law enforcement to, uh, assist in border security and so forth. Um, but, but he doesn't seem to want to do that. And, and again, it's just this perplexing thing of, uh, hitting people on your own team, um, often, often harder than, uh, even people, or, or I guess, you know what? You know what I think it is. It's because football season's coming up, Mike, and and it sort of occurs to me. It's almost like, um, you know, a, a blocker kind of just running at it random and like hitting the you know wide receiver for their own team, um, right? Just out of the blue. You know what I mean? Just yeah. Kind of- yeah, right. Exactly. Even if you have some kind of beef with them during the weekend practice, that would just be entirely against your own interest, but you just can't help yourself essentially. So yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, um, speaking of, speaking of football, before we get to our next story, and in fact, our next story is going to be a football related story. We're going to be talking about the, the Cleveland Browns national anthem protest, but I want to thank our first sponsor today, SeatGeek. It's a great low cost, super convenient way to buy tickets for live events. You know, with SeatGeek, you can find the best seats at the best prices. It's fully guaranteed. Only takes a few taps on the app or a few clicks as you access it through their website, SeatGeek.com. And I've said it before, I've used SeatGeek both through the app on my phone and at SeatGeek.com. Either way, it's quick, easy, informative, and hey, you can get football tickets 
through SeatGeek. You know, I'm a big Steelers fan, and I can. I, I looked up and I found that I could get uh, uh, tickets to the big Steelers Bengals game here in my in my uh, hometown of, of Cincinnati, where you know, and actually they cost a lot less than I would have guessed. So you know, there you go. I, I and I, I would I can get tickets to my my beloved and uh, playoff bound uh, Cleveland Indians. Yeah, th- there you go. Exactly. So and plus with SeatGeek, you can get updates on. Uh, it's not just sports, but whatever venues, events, performers you like to keep track of. It'll even connect you up with Spotify, your music library, Facebook to give you notifications about artists you listen to or follow, though. If you don't like notifications, you can turn that off. And when you buy a ticket, they'll even put the day and time of the event on your calendar if you want. And best of all, Politics Guys listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code POLITICSGUY today. That's promo code POLITICSGUY for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Okay, so let's talk about that uh, uh, Cleveland Brown story. That's something we haven't said a whole lot on this show. You know, I uh, th- this week the Cleveland Browns staged, or this last week the Cleveland Browns staged the largest NFL team national anthem protest to date, with 17 players participating, including two white players, and that's that's kind of a big deal for a lot of folks. Uh, so, Jay, I was wondering just. You know, it's your team still at my former hometown, your this, hometown. This is, well, you know, I'll tell you, um, and we have some history on, on this, obviously. I have, I have been a lifelong uh, Cleveland Browns fan, and you, despite growing up in Cleveland, because, because you're just a contrarian. Yeah, you know how I am. Uh, have, have been a, a, a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Um, and I don't, I don't know if, if everyone in the country understands what, what exactly that means, um, but but uh, that's that's sort of a, a big divide. Like um, Donald Trump, Hillary the, the Clinton, Cleveland you know, Browns, yeah. the Cleveland Browns for the last two decades have been, uh, though, just entirely dysfunctional. And, um, you know, every year I sort of vow this is going to be the last year I'm going to bother watching the Cleveland Browns. And this this uh, may have been a turning point, I think, for for me and for a lot of fans um, just continually beating their head against the wall. Um for for a whole lot of reasons, and um, I don't know. But what's what's your thought? First of all, on, on well, these these national anthem protests. You know, because, I I I don't again, know. I've got some. Sure, I don't know how effective they are, but I, I'm I'm all for raising awareness. I'm all for players exercising their right to do that. Certainly, and I think there are a lot of very serious race-related issues in this country uh, for a lot of reasons. And in part, you know, I've said it more than a few times that I feel that uh, the Trump administration, and particularly uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general, is a is a big step backwards in, in a lot of these things. And it's not terrifically surprising to me that this happens in Cleveland. Uh, there are only four NFL cities, in fact, that have a higher percentage. <laughs> because, because we've got well, no, no. to I mean, attention. No, no, but there are only four NFL cities that have a higher percentage of black residents, Detroit, Baltimore, New Orleans, and Atlanta. So, you know, Cleveland is a majority black city. And that, so given that it's mostly been black players that have been involved in these things and so forth. So I think, I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think it raises awareness and, and starts people talking about, not starts people, but helps to continue the conversation on these things. I don't know how effective it's going to be in the long run, but I certainly, I, I certainly think it's a great thing. And that if professional football players or other celebrities use their 
you know, use their, uh, use their celebrity to raise awareness about important issues, social issues. I'm all for it. All right. I think it's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, well, and let's, let me make something clear. Cause again, I agree with you. If, if these players want to do something, uh, in their community, there's a lot that can be done. Uh, there's a lot that they can do. And also I should, I should say that, uh, 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 former Cleveland, uh, Brown, perhaps the greatest Cleveland Brown, uh, ever, uh, Jim Brown, uh, shares my opinion and Jim Brown and I don't, don't agree on a whole lot of things. Um, but it's one thing to say, uh, I'm upset about policing tactics and I ought, you know, someone ought to do more about this. And it's another to say, uh, I am therefore, uh, showing disrespect for the, the national anthem, uh, for my country. Uh, and, and to me, it, it all strikes me as, is just, it's a bit of, um, well, like, like we complain about the liberals a lot, uh, moral preening of the, Oh, look at me. Um, again, these are folks who are, uh, certainly well-paid. Uh, and, and, in, and this is, this is, I'm going to take a step away from being the political analyst guy and, and being like the sports sports guy. Uh, it's especially ridiculous uh, when, when you have a team that is, is so horrible and, and as this the Cleveland Browns have been uh, that, that it's, you know, yeah, I'm saying this is Brown plans. Just, just play football. Damn it. I mean, it's, so I, again, this is sort of a, a personal thing to me, but I, I think though these, these protests, um, actually hurt the cause more than they help. Uh, and there is so much more that, that these players can do. And, and in fairness, some of them, them do things in the community. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think this is, this is silly uh, sort of cry for attention. Um, I think it, I think it has a, has a very negative impact on the NFL's brand as a whole. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's just, it's just a show of, of, of disrespect. And I, you know, to me so much of what we do on the show, and I know I'm, I'm just kind of babbling here, but it's about how, how you raise your, your differences, how we discuss our differences, how we bring them up. Um, and, and I think this is just very much the wrong way to go about it. The, you know, essentially the statement of America sucks kind of thing because of, uh, whatever incidents. Um, yeah. You know, so. I don't think it was America sucks. I mean, they, they basically said that, well, we are in a prayer circle here. We are praying for our country. I mean, that's not saying America sucks. It's well, uh, it, not at all. I mean, we say that, you know, we knelt in a circle well, again, and prayed on their America sucks. Back. I mean, if we're talking about the origination of this, of the Kaepernick. That's a different thing. Uh, yeah. This I, is absolutely. A, I th yeah, I, I think I, there's I, a right I, way and a this wrong is, way. This is different in that they're saying this is a we're praying for our country rather than it's just a protest. Yeah. Uh, but it's still a protest. Yeah. And I think it's and I see what you're saying, but I think it is a protest that is much needed because I think there is endemic racial injustice still in this country. And we have we've got we've come a long way, but we have such a long way to go yet. And uh, anything that will help advance us uh, to that, I am I am all in favor of. All right. Um. Well, before we get to our next story, we want to thank our second sponsor for today. That is ZipRecruiter. You know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Good help is 
hard to find. My, my dad was a, my dad was a carpenter contractor for 50 plus years. And he was always complaining about that. Maybe part of the reason why was that I was actually one of his helpers for uh, a while. And let's just say I did not exactly, <laughs> uh, I was not exactly the greatest help in the world. And maybe, you know, if, if ZipRecruiter had been around in my dad's time, he might've gotten, a, he might've gotten a better helper than me. God knows he deserved one. Anyway, um, that's where ZipRecruiter comes in. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. So, you know, if my dad were posting something, he would not get me as a match because I would not be a match. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. And there's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You just screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter easy-to-use dashboard. So, hey, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Politics Guys listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free as in no money involved. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. And a third time, because why not, let's say it a third time, ZipRecruiter.com slash politics guide to post jobs for free. All right, moving on. So, you know, there was an eclipse this last week. You heard about it, Jay. Did you look I into did. the did you I look did. into the sun? I, I went out there well, I, I looked uh at the sun. One, I, I built my own little, you know, eclipse viewer. Yeah. Uh from from office supplies that I had handed. Me too. Uh, and then also we had someone in our office who brought in some welding glasses oh, okay. and, uh, used, used that. And that, it was, it was incredibly cool. You know, I, but I, I'm, but I'm, I'm big on that kind of thing. I, I'm, I'm a big sort of, you know, science, uh, you know, space kind of, kind of geek. So well, it was pretty cool. And I got to say, I went outside and I, I felt this incredibly strong urge to look up at the sun. I kind of looked in the general area, but I was, you know, I didn't look right up at that thing. And I think that was the wise thing to do, obviously, but I, I can't imagine anyone would look directly up at the sun, right? Well, you know, and that's what I want to tell you. Interesting that of course there were these, these, uh, pictures on, uh, well, I saw them on social media. That's probably where most people saw it of president Trump, apparently staring directly into the eclipse. And some people saying we're an aide from down below said, Hey, don't stare into the sun, president Trump. Uh, you know, and then of course, uh, I posted this on our social media and, and there were some people who said, oh, come on, this is just an overblown, ridiculous thing. President Trump didn't stare directly into the sun. And OK, he probably didn't. Right. But he was certainly looking up into the sun around that area at the moment of the eclipse. And some people say, well, why does that matter? Is this an important thing? You know, and I think it is actually. Okay. I, I do too, but I, maybe for different reasons. Go here's ahead. why. Um, I think the larger point is that this ridiculous overblown eclipse story is yet another example of President Trump not recognizing that the president of the United States is more just than some guy who gets to do all this cool stuff because he's president of the United States. The president of the United States is supposed to set an example. You know, President Trump jokes about being presidential. In his speech in Phoenix, he was joking about, well, you know, they say it's not presidential to mention names of these people who I hate, so I won't mention them. And then he you know, goes out and basically does that. He thinks it's a joke. But, but no, the, the president of the United States is supposed to set an example 
to, to, to everyone. I mean, and we might make, you know, a lot of people may think that's sort of an old fashioned kind of sort of thing, but I certainly don't. I think there are millions of Americans who agree with me. And so, you know, so one example a simple thing can do is say, well, don't look up directly into the sun during an eclipse, kids. Um, and yet I think he knew that. But it's another example of President Trump being essentially incapable of reining in his impulses in the service of a greater good, of being an example. He just can't help himself because with Donald Trump and, you know, you've talked before about how it's uh, hazardous to psychoanalyze anyone at a distance, the president included. And I agree with you in general, but gee, this seems like such a clear case of Donald Trump understands the world through the lens of Donald Trump and nobody else. And that's it. That's it's Donald Trump first, foremost and everything. It's all about what Donald Trump wants to do. If Donald Trump is aggrieved, if someone's attacking Donald Trump, you need to be loyal to Donald Trump. And that's his worldview. As far as I can tell, he doesn't get an idea of a greater good that does not involve himself or his immediate family members, which are just kind of little Donald Trump satellites, essentially. And I think this is just a perfect example of that. So that's my take on it. What's, what's yours, Jay? Well, my take is, is sort of related, closely related. And it's, it's more to the, the idea that uh, he continues to commit uh, political malpractice. And, and as a Republican, it just makes you want to beat your head up against the wall. Um, Maybe he was looking into the sun. Maybe he was. And again, my my first instinct of of oh, is this another? Is this like George Bush and the uh, the barcode scanner, uh, where there was a picture taken and you know then a sort of caption just to make him look dumb? Uh, maybe he was looking at something else. Maybe there was an interesting bird or plane or something like that that caught his attention. But regardless. The idea is if you're the president and you're going out there, you know that the media will be uh, photographing you uh, and you know that or you probably should have heard uh, that there were have been you know, warnings and that they would want nothing more than to take a picture of you looking into the sun. Uh, so don't do it. Um, that to me is, is just the, you know, so often of, of don't put yourself in the even, you know, going back to the, you know, some of the Charlottesville comments. Um, you know, you know that the media is going to try to cast you as racist. So don't do anything even remotely close uh, to that that would give them that hook to do that. Uh, and the second piece of the, to this, that this is sort of political malpractice, and maybe this isn't Trump's fault himself, but maybe his his folks, maybe the lack of a, a communications director or, or something. But, you know, to me, the eclipse is something that if you're the president, if, uh, if you're Trump, this is awesome, fun, free media. This is so easy. You invite the head of NASA to come over and view it with you, with your glasses. Uh, and, and you make a great a statement, again, something similar to what I said the other day of, uh, you know, can be sort of a, a unifying thing. And again, whether you look at this as uh, what an incredible creation God has made and isn't this beautiful, or if you just do it as a, wow, science is cool, uh, and, and I don't even necessarily think those, those two messages are, are, uh, incompatible. You can sort of, sort of say, say both. Um, you know, here's, here's like a, it's just a real easy, it's, it's the two foot putt that, that you miss again. Uh, and again, you in, invite some scientists over to come look at it with you and, uh, you say, wow, that's, that's really, that is really cool. And, um, yeah. Uh, or, or even better, you you invite uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to to yeah, come on no, exactly. and, and, yeah. and 
you know, and watch it with you. And then if they don't, you can post a tweet saying, I don't know, I, I invited them to, to watch it with me. I thought this transcended politics, but apparently right. I'm wrong. And boom. Need science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so yeah, exactly. So, so such a great opportunity, uh, an event that brought the entire country together. And wow, like you said, missing a two foot putt. I just, Wow. It just blows your mind. You know, this was, this is, this is easy. It should be easy. And yet it wasn't. Right. And exactly. This is something that, that there was, there is, there is no political. And look, is it going to be a huge political gain? No, it's not huge political gain. Uh, but it's the matter of, of doing some of these little things right. Uh, and, and, you know, would, would have, would, you know, the far left still have made fun of this. Oh yes, of course. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's what frustrates me is, uh, is one allowing yourself to have that that picture taken, looking up into the sun, knowing that that picture is going to be taken, and knowing that that's going to be the meme that's out there, uh, and then secondly, knowing that that you could have avoided it and really made it a positive and and didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, Donald Trump being um, Donald Trump, I guess. You know, uh, I think we have time for at least a little bit of listener mail. If you're up for it, Jay. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, here's an interesting. Uh, uh, comment or question, I guess, from um, Sean from Facebook and should point out that uh, if you're interested in uh, uh, interacting with us and maybe getting some of your listener mail, it's not just through email. Uh, you can post comments on Facebook or uh, even uh, direct message us on Twitter if you're following us on Twitter and we check all that out. We're always looking for interesting stuff to talk about on the show. So anyway, this is Sean's comment. Um, he said, I recently read Al Franken's book, Giant of the Senate. Uh, it was quite good and better than others of his that I've tried to read. But one part in the book says he adopted Hillary Clinton's senatorial model of be a workhorse, not a show horse, which in part means being very accessible to local media, but not doing national media. He says, now I've seen him on some Sunday shows unrelated to pimping his book. Do you think that means he's considering running for the Democratic nomination for president in 2020? Um, and I should say, before we talk about that, I actually heard him on a, a couple of interviews. I, I listened to him on Mark Maron's podcast, where that was really sort of interesting. It was a little bit almost more about his his sort of drug-fueled early days at Saturday Night Live, which he's been very open about so forth in the 70s. But it was an interesting interview. So, uh, but anyway, so what do you think about that? Can you see a President Franken? In our future, Jay. Uh, well, I, I could see him uh, potentially toying with the candidacy, and I've I've heard rumblings that uh, he's out raising money that he might be uh, seeking to run. Um, <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, um, he would he would yield to some other progressive like a, a, a Elizabeth Warren or or Bernie Sanders if it came to that. But maybe he's trying to get his name out there as a potential vice president uh, possibility. Uh, I, I don't see Franken having the, the broad appeal uh, really to ever actually to, to win win the nomination though. Um, uh, so, and I I preferred him back when he was on drugs and on Saturday Night Live and a lot funnier. But um, uh, that, I mean that's 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 my take on it. Who knows what what he'll do? And and I suppose in in this case when you've got a a party that doesn't have someone who is the definitive leader and there is sort of this uh, insurgent leftist bent um you know he's smart just to try to start you know laying the groundwork just just in case uh you know for example i mean if uh you know again say there's a leftward tilt in the party and that seems to be where the energy is and um 
for whatever reason, uh, you know, uh, Warren or Sanders or someone else, uh, you know, implodes, um, he'd be there. So I, I, I get that. So, you know, I, I, I would initially think, well, there's no way Al Franken could be president, but you know, Donald Trump is president of the United States and I still wake up some mornings, uh, and think, wow, Donald Trump somehow managed to get elected president of the United States. So I guess nothing really seems impossible to me. Um, Al Franken, I think, is uh, has proven himself to be a very uh, intelligent, serious, progressive voice, uh, and uh, you know I think that came through very much in in the interviews I've read from you know read uh, and and I've heard on podcasts as well. So. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is no spring chicken. In fact, a lot of the progressive voices or a number of them in Congress are a little older. And I don't know, I would I would certainly consider supporting Al Franken if he chose to run. I would obviously you know, need to think a little bit more seriously about that. And I tend to think that he might be a little too far left of what I'm comfortable with. But uh, I could I could certainly see it. So there you go. Um. All right. You know, I, I think we have time if you just for one more listener mail question. Um, okay. Robert posting a comment on politicsguys.com. Um, Robert writes, I am a 56 year old Canadian and have lived here my whole life. We have had single payer universal health care since the 1960s. I'm not sure where Jay gets his info on our health care, but Jay, you are great, but I pick my own doctor and always have. And my doctor and I decide on my treatment, never the Canadian government. I suspect that the rich private U.S. health companies want to scare us about single-payer health care. Every Canadian has zero deductible coverage with no limits on pre-existing conditions. Jay, get with the 60s, man, and make America great like Canada. P.S. I love your show and both of you, but in a manly, brotherly way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Robert. So, you know, Um, I would say, let let me just say that I think that Canada is a great model. Um, I would be thrilled if we had a healthcare system that was along the lines of Canada. But I think that, and other listeners have actually raised similar questions. I think because of very strong cultural differences with, you know, even though they're very close to us geographically, there's a very different uh, culture in Canada. And for those cultural reasons, I just, I can't see us anytime in the near term future moving toward a system like that. The resistance would be too big and too fierce. And there are just, you know, I pointed this out a number of times. It's not like there aren't a lot of people making a lot of money off of the American healthcare system. This is incredibly lucrative for certain people. And those entrenched interests are going to fight very hard for this system to stay the way it is because it works for them. And, you know, it listen in my talk with uh, my interview not too long ago with Lawrence Lessig, that's kind of his big thing is that, well, given that we have a system based on raising immense amount of money uh, for, you know, for congressional elections, as long as those people have that strong voice, it's sort of unrealistic to to expect fundamental change when members of Congress, essentially both Democrats and Republicans, by the way, have to rely on big money donors for to, to stay in office. And, you know, so I, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you, Robert, but I just, because of American political culture and because of how our institutions work, I just don't see that happening. Jay? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, um, you're, you're right on that, that there are a lot of people who are making a lot of money. Uh, on, on the other hand, though, I think there's also a lot of people 
uh, who are pretty happy with the healthcare system that they have. But but that's the political reality of it. And and the the idea that for those who are are happy with their current care, with their current doctor and so forth, uh, that someone's going to take that away from them that's going to change, uh, that's a powerful political motivator. Um, you know, when when Obamacare uh, came in, a lot of people did, in fact, uh, lose their doctor, lose access to the doctor. Um, and again, that's sort of a function of of how our 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 healthcare you know patchwork you know operates. Um, so it, it's not an unrealistic fear uh, that people might not be able to go to the provider that that they choose. Um, and and there's also I think there there are a lot of demographic differences uh, between uh, the U.S. and Canada uh, that again, like you said, we're geographically close, uh, but you know there's the political cultural differences. But I think there are also some demographic uh, differences that make uh, a single payer type system much more difficult to implement uh, in in the U.S. than in a, uh, a smaller, less populated ca- country uh, like Canada. Yeah, those are some some good points. And so I think it's fair to say that, Jay, that while you and I disagree uh, fair, fairly starkly on, the, uh, on how much we would like to see a system like Canada's in the United States, we both agree that it's not something that we're likely to see at any point in the near-term future, certainly. Yeah, probably, probably not. There you go. All right. Well, that's it for this episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you like what you heard and that you will check out today's sponsors, SeatGeek, where Politics Guys listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase by downloading the SeatGeek app or going to SeatGeek.com and entering promo code PoliticsGuy. And ZipRecruiter, where Politics Guys listeners can post jobs for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash PoliticsGuy. You know, listener support is a huge help to us. We really do appreciate it. If you're interested in joining our great group of Politics Guys supporters, you can just go to PoliticsGuys.com and click on the Patreon link you'll see there. And if, if you want to support the show without spending a single dime, nickel, penny, that would be really appreciated. You can share this episode with your friends and followers or pass along our new show posts and tweets on Facebook and Twitter. Also, leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes, the sort of 800-pound gorilla of podcast, that also really does help. And if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can mail us at mail at politicsguys.com or reach out on our Facebook page uh, where we post stuff throughout the week too. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. The show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Sunday. We hope you'll join us.